Hey there. So I cannot believe it. We are pretty much at the end of season four of Hormonally Speaking. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I was just telling the story to someone, a new person um, that I met the other day because they asked me how long I'd been doing a podcast. And I just can't even believe that it's been four seasons because I did not want to do a podcast originally. I had a business coach that recommended I start a podcast and I was like, nope, not interested, not at all. And then I ended up kind of falling into it, I say, based off the fact that I did a hormone summit and then it kind of just made sense. So here we are four years later, amazing, incredible interviews. I mean, sometimes I think about it and I just think, wow, I've gone through a PhD just doing these interviews, right, with so many of the incredible experts that are out there when it comes to hormones, when it comes to gut health, cutting edge stuff. And we're going to continue to do that in season five, but I'm taking a little break for the summer. So uh, this is kind of technically the last episode of the season, though we have a what I'll call a sweet bonus episode that's coming next week. So if you're not subscribed to the podcast, now is the time to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss this episode next week. Uh, My um, co-worker colleague, Marika Steen, and I answer your questions. We got a bunch of questions when I put out um, the request for doing a QA and a on hormones. And we're focusing a lot on... Uh, perimenopause and we're focusing on BHRT and hormone testing. We really cover so many things in the time that we had and we have a ton more questions to answer. I think we got to maybe six of the questions and I think about 40 some were submitted. So we will be back with further episodes in next season to answer more questions. Super fun for us. I think it'll be a really fun episode for you to listen to. So again, subscribe if you aren't already subscribed because you're gonna learn a ton next week. We really just kind of get into the nitty gritty with these Q and A's. And we're also launching a brand new program that you'll learn all about next week. And it's definitely geared towards you perimenopausal ladies out there and we're super excited to do that it's going to be in july so it's going to be very very soon and you gotta listen next week in order to learn about it we're gonna have all the information there so don't forget to subscribe i'm gonna tell you one more time and if you have a moment can you please leave us a review especially if you're on itunes It makes such a huge difference, more than anything else, how many reviews we have. And I'm so grateful for the ones we have, and I really want to build up more reviews because it really does bump us up on lists so that more and more women can listen in and learn and empower themselves when it comes to their hormone health, which is such an intricate part of our overall health, right? And In a time where women are losing their body autonomy, it is so important for us to learn as much as we can so that we can take back control and live really good lives, right? Live lives where we feel energy, where we feel calm as much as we can, where we feel, you know, just good in our bodies, where we sleep well, where we are having good moods, all of these things are possible. We just need to know how to do that, right? And that's what this podcast is all about. It is a labor of love that I do. And so uh, my main request from you in return is a review. That is really all you need to do for me in terms of giving back for all this great information that you are receiving from all these experts out there. So I appreciate it so much. If you're listening on Spotify, you can hit that five stars. Um, Spotify and iTunes are the main ones I know in terms of leaving reviews. But if you're on another platform where they accept reviews, please leave one there. Thank you so much. And the plan for the summer is I'm not going to leave you with nothing. Basically, what I'm going to do is go back in the archives and pull out some great episodes, especially if you're newer to the podcast There's so many things that we've done over the last four seasons that are worth listening to. And I know it's hard to search in most of the platforms, you know, so here we are. We're going to pull some of the best of the best and we're going to run those this summer for probably about six weeks. And then we'll be back in late summer, early fall. 
with more brand new episodes with even more amazing guest experts. So stay tuned. But today we are diving in to a really, really good episode with Kristen and Maria from Wise and Well. They are so knowledgeable about perimenopause, menopause, BHRT. They are really the go-to ladies out there in this field right now. They are just incredible. As you'll hear me say in the episode, I could have talked to them probably for another two hours asking questions. So, so good. I know that you'll learn so much from this episode. So let's go ahead and dive in. Hey there, and welcome to Hormonally Speaking. I'm your host, Christine Garvin, a functional health coach. Each week, I speak with an incredible guest expert on all things women's hormones. We're here to empower you to take back control of your body, health, and well-being, and to learn about the latest in research and solutions when it comes to getting your hormones happy. No part of this podcast should be construed as medical advice, and we always recommend working with a professional practitioner to figure out what's best for your body. Now let's dive in with today's guest. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Hormonally Speaking. It is the final episode of season four. Yay! And we're ending on a great note with some great guests this week, talking about what I know is one of your favorite topics um, that we have here on the podcast. We're going to be talking perimenopause. We're going to be talking menopause. We're going to be talking about hormone replacement therapy, all the good stuff that comes with this time of our lives and how to make it better. So my guests today are Maria, an FDN practitioner and Kristen, a board certified nutritionist. And they are plain spoken friends and practitioners who share a passion for women's health, especially women's health at midlife. As both are themselves menopausal, they've refined the art and science of thriving as a midlife woman based on both clinical and personal experience. They combine individualized nutrition and lifestyle changes tailored to midlife women's needs with mindset coaching, lab testing, and hormone replacement therapy education to help women thrive so that they can stop or prevent their health from spinning out of control. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> no spinning out of control. Welcome, ladies. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Yeah, so excited that you're here. So um, as we talked about a little bit before we got on here, one of the things that I've, you know, I noticed in your IG, um, your Instagram is that, you know, there's all of kind of these new people maybe on the horizon in the menopausal world, right? Um, <laughs> and <laughs> some are better than others, right? We'll die right in. <laughs> we'll dive right in. I know. I was like, we're not even going to talk about your history yet. We'll get into the history later of how you got into this. But I, I just, I think this is such a fascinating arena because on the one hand, it's so great that this part of life is being talked about really for the first time in a big way, right? But sure. with that can certainly come misinformation. So what are some of the things that you guys see that you feel like are um, maybe the most, um, the worst <laughs> things that are being said and what you would say maybe in place of that? Gosh, um, you know, I think I would say some of the worst are the ones who are really attempting and let's just kind of back up menopause is big business right now, right? It's a $600 billion market. We're seeing kind of all these femtech companies yeah. jump into the arena with shiny objects. And, yes. you know, Maria's and my biggest thing is that um, the whole narrative is built around a couple things. One, that menopause is this moment that we all have to reach before we can do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Two, that menopause is all about symptoms. And right. this is, those two things are what make our heads explode day in and day out, mm -hmm. because it kind of is like, tell us that you're really not experienced in menopause without telling us you're really not experienced because anyone who still wants to keep the eye on those two bogeys is totally out of their lane and, and not understanding what's really happening. Mm -hmm. So to that end, you see some of these younger ladies who will be talking about things like seed cycling, or mm -hmm. they talk about hormone balancing, mm -hmm. and things that if you truly understand the nuances of what's going on during this transition, let alone what has been going on our entire lives with our hormones, you'd throw out the word balance. And um, you would never tell, a, you know, perimenopausal menopausal woman to eat a bunch of seeds as though that is her solution. Right. <laughs> that I would say is kind of where we start, Maria. <laughs> Um, what do we see that's wrong? Um, 
we see like um, some uh, this. Unfortunately, this tends to happen with, say, coaches and not like menopausal physicians. Not that they, in our opinion, necessarily get everything right because they're a physician. But what we see with some, say, perimenopause and menopause coaches is they just get completely erroneous, like lab targets wrong. I saw like a perimenopause coach say something like, you know, you really know that you're in the, don't, don't quote me on this. I am sure. paraphrasing at this point because I don't remember, but you really know that, you know, you are in, you know, uh, the transition or it's time to pay attention when your FSH, which is follicle stimulating hormone is over 40. Hmm. And we're like, oh, okay. She's mm-hmm. reading old research. She's actually mm-hmm. reading something called stages of reproductive aging workshop. That's, that's the name of a, an article or a study. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, oh, she didn't read something called straw. It's called straw plus 10. They actually updated that criteria to FSH of over 25. So when we see things like that, we think, okay, you're attempting to start to learn something. But when you put yourself out there with specific data, right? right? Mm -hmm. And like, as here, I'm kind of sharing an expert opinion and that's wrong. Kristen and I tend to cringe a little and really <laughs> want to, you know, correct them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's noisy. And I think, you know, not every woman's menopausal menopause experience is going to be the same. Mm-hmm. So the fact that everyone keeps trying to like lay out these little checklists or, you know, questions and answers, if this, then that, well, fun fact, you can be low in one hormone and feel low um, and show up as low in another on these questionnaires. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're not, accurate to be Mm -hmm. honest Mm -hmm. and then they also talk about hrt as though it's this one thing that hrt just is this thing that exists and Mm -hmm. hrt as i know from your past podcast i mean takes a complete spectrum of regimens forms dosing approaches etc and you know acting as though hrt is like a bottle of advil that you pull off the shelf and everyone takes is just so disingenuous to women because it's you know, it's, it's making the whole waters muddy. Women start comparing, oh gosh, I'm not having hot flashes. I must not be in perimenopause or I must not be having a bad menopause. Right. Right. And that's again, completely erroneous. Marie and I didn't have hot flashes either, but so these sorts of things are what drive us nuts within this space. And, and then we kind of couple that with this push within the medical community to adhere to a particular licensing board or credentialing board's narrative. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we get it. These licensed prescribers are very much beholden to those who are going to report them to insurance companies or, you know, kind of hold this standard over their head. And the sad fact is, is the standard of care in the United States is actually to give birth control to a woman up to the age of 55. Like, I know. I see so, it all the time with my clients. Yeah. And and these coaches will literally equate, you know, synthetic hormones as HRT still. So right. it's just, that's the issue. And that's what we're kind of setting out to be, you know, cutting through the noise. We yeah. do it, I would say, in a fairly... um direct sort of way, which, you know, sometimes love us or hate us. We don't really (laughs) care. Yeah. It's more, we just think, you know, women have been either gaslit or over treated for the wrong thing for so long that we're just trying to be like, look, there is some clarity here. It's going to take unlearning a lot of what you've been told and, you know, we'd love to help kind of thing. So that's, we just try and educate. Absolutely. And what you just mentioned, you know, even about the hot flashes, I was just reading, I don't know if it's out yet, but there's a new medication that's coming out specifically for hot flashes. Right. And I was like, oh my God. Anyone who watched the Super Bowl news knows it, right? He's like, why am I watching the most guy thing in the world right now with an ad for hot flashes? I I, I was like, I didn't watch the Super Bowl, so I missed that. But, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, that's case in point of like, you know, the drug companies hopping on this bandwagon and being like, oh, we we have something for that, right? Rather than going to the source of what is happening for women. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how did you both get into this work? I'm assuming because of some personal experiences. Yeah, our, our own experiences. I yeah. was about 43 when perimenopause started and, you know, it was like loss of sleep and mood issues and mm-hmm. just things like that. And I, I kind of just knew that I wanted to address these things with like a, fu- from a functionally functional health perspective with like an integrative doctor <laughs> boy um, that have I come to realize now over the, like the last 12 years that that, I guess, like any other profession, you know, there's really great functional doctors yeah. and there's really not so, not so good ones. ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did go to a doctor in New York city. He, he was an MD. It was, he had kind of a holistic health center. I just funny thing is I just remember walking, it was like the day after Christmas or something like that. It, it was really pretty desperate. And the first thing I walk into an integrative holistic health center is, do you want a flu shot? Like literally got signed in. I was like, oh, I wonder if this is sort of like a red flag as to <laughs> the experience. It wasn't an all out horrible experience. It just was very like learning through a fire hose, put me on HRT again at 43, little on the young side, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, maybe not. Um mm-hmm. You know, it's not not so much an age things. It's the symptoms and hormones thing. I, I think um, I don't necessarily think I needed it. But even if I did need it at that point, I'd have to go back and check my labs. I, like I wasn't educated at all. It was like take this, this, and this. And by the way, one of those thises was actually uh, benzodiazepine for sleep. Oh yeah. So maybe that kind of offering of, of, of the flu shot when I walked through the door was something <laughs> I paid attention to. Anyway, I just was like, I need to figure this out. I knew that I knew that, that there had to be a better way. And that's when I kind of started the kind of extra education journey and mentorship and things like that. Yeah. The journey. It certainly yeah. is one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mine was, you know, my mom was, had full hysterectomy, ovaries, everything removed Mm -hmm. at 32 at my birth, to be perfectly honest. So having some sort of paradigm for what menopause or perimenopause was, was totally not in my world. I Mm -hmm. had no genetic, you know, kind of story to look back on. And I was too young to remember kind of what she experienced with no hormones at the time. Um, so when it came to me, I mean, I, after the birth of my last kid definitely was, you know, we're, we're, most of us are essentially menopausal in terms of the postnatal environment of our hormones. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was a complete train wreck and probably should have seen the writing on the wall in terms of what was to come. (laughs) Um, but it was the moods, it was the energy, it was like ragey stuff. I mean, I was a kind of hide the knives every Saturday was sort of my husband's joke, you know, and he'd take the kids out of the house, like mommy's having her moment. (laughs) And I was aware of it, but I couldn't quite figure it out. But I ended up being offered antidepressants and then said no to that and had a wonderful nurse practitioner um, come to me quietly outside of the purview of my gynecologist and say, do the Mirena, do this IUD. It's going to be great for you, et cetera. So I was only in my early thirties when I did that. And fast forward, um, it was probably a decade into my Mirena journey and, um, you know, it's not going to mask everything. I was still going through perimenopause Mm -hmm. and low hormones in my early forties, like Maria, but I was living in Boston, very big pharma, conventional medicine focus, you know, good luck finding a real functional provider there. Right. And I went to who, you know, my GP was this woman from India, and she definitely had more of a holistic approach. And I thought, oh, she's going to get it. And I went to her and she looked at me and she said, you are too young. There is nothing wrong with you. And I just kept begging. I said, just test my hormones. Like, I'm yeah. just curious. Would you test them? Cadillac insurance. It's not going to cost you anything. Not going to cost me. Let's just right. no, refuse. So then I went back and I said, I think I have Lyme disease. Like I was so convinced that something mm. was wrong with me and I'm doing all this like self-research and then going back and forth. And she's a totally gaslighting me. Nothing is wrong. Now, fast forward, I was deeply perimenopausal. By the time I had my my arena removed a couple of years later, I was fully menopausal. Mm. So everything that I was going through from the skin changes, the hair changes, granted, we're talking symptoms, but that's what gets our attention, right? I had no idea what was going on with my lipids, my thyroid, my bone density, all these other things. And so by the time, you know, I started out of frustration, like Maria, just the self-education, going back to school, then getting mentorship, et cetera. 
finally had one of Maria's and my mentors look at me at a conference and say, you need to take that Marina out and you need to deal with your reality. Mm. And it was a huge wake up call. And that was where the, you know, the two of us were kind of like, okay, we are like bookends of the spectrum. She got mm. overserved. I got underserved. Mm-hmm. Right? And every woman falls somewhere in between. It's not acceptable. And so that was just kind of what started us. Wow. Um, yeah. So how long have you guys been working together now? We're going on five years. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's yeah. amazing. So yeah. speaking of testing, I know there's a huge debate in terms <laughs> of whether it's worth testing in perimenopause or not. So what are, yeah. what are your takes on it? Yeah, we think it's it's worthwhile. Um, you know, in fact, if, if we could kind of wind back the clock, say 10 years, we would have tested with blood testing, you know, estradiol on day 12, progesterone on day 21, mm-hmm. and FSH um, day five, day 21, so once, or, once or twice a year, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Starting at, I don't know, age 40, we'll say that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and that would have sh- that would have shown a baseline of sorts right. and would have shown like trends through the years. So, you know, if anyone out there is listening and wants to do that, that's, that's fabulous. You will be like laying a lot of foundational like data and knowledge for Mm -hmm. like your say mid to late Mm forties. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, I think the question will just kind of come right out and (laughs) address it is like, well, is the Dutch test a waste of money? Well, we'll give you our take on the Dutch test. We don't love it for hormone volume, right? Like, well, here's your estrogen level. Here's your progesterone level. Here's your testosterone level. Uh, what we like to see is like, how do hormones process in the body? Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. What's your B6 and B12 like? Because those are super important vitamins for women to have appropriate optimal amounts, you know, mm-hmm. on HRT and off HRT. Like those mm-hmm. are really important. Um, you know, our adrenal health uh, plays into our overall health or bone health, our um, metabolism, things like that, you know, bone health. So, you know, there's, there's so much on it to have sort of like a, I want to stand out. So I'm going to tell women that they don't need to do the Dutch test. I mean, and that's coming from both kind of health coach kind of people and from physicians as well. Mm -hmm. It just shows like a lack of kind of understanding of the nuances of the test. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, from the blood testing perspective, the argument frequently is, your hormones are up and down and all over the place during perimenopause. So why bother testing? Right, right. Unfortunately, that has turned into a position statement by many medical societies that all you got to do is talk to the woman. She knows. And the reality is, guess what? Most women, we are kind of like doers. We're caretakers. We push ourselves. We go, which means we normalize things. And so Marie and I just met with someone this morning. We always start with a questionnaire. It's 316 questions. They've got to go through and answer all these sorts of things. It's really just to give a symptom burden sort of picture. It's nothing clinical. It's just what they report. Now, if you looked at it, all of the things related to her gut were like, not a big deal. Mm -hmm. And yet we do a GI map test on her and we see she has blastoparasite. She has giardia. She's wildly dysbiotic. She's got massive colon inflammation. And and so again, if we had asked her, how's your gut? She would have been, it's good. And (laughs) it's not. So when it comes to hormones to ask, Hey, Christine, how are you feeling? Mm -hmm. And you're like, I'm good because you know what? You talk to your neighbors and they say, yeah, I don't sleep either. Sex isn't as fun anymore. Maybe it's just being married this long. You know, it's, we always have an excuse and an explanation for the symptoms because we don't want to be a burden on anyone. We don't have a lot of time for this crap, mm-hmm. right? We've got mm-hmm. things to do. We've got businesses to run and, you know, maybe kids to care for and partners to support and everything else. Sorry, asking a woman what her symptoms are and then telling us that taking blood labs is not accurate. You've got to be joking. And <laughs> You know, our attitude is, particularly with the Dutch, I don't care if you're low hormones or robust hormones, the Dutch is still going to tell you whatever it tells you about your hormone metabolism. That's right. not changing month to right. month. Right. Right. Yep. So there is definitely value yep. in that. As for the blood labs, like Maria said, nobody should look at any lab. I don't care if I went and tested your iron status or your thyroid. It's just a snapshot in time. Right. 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 Exactly. Nobody's arguing that this is the, like the all the rest of them. Yeah. Map. 
Yeah. yeah totally. But it is relevant. And particularly since we know, like Marie started out with this one marker FSH, sorry, ladies, once it goes past a certain level, it's not going back. Mm-hmm. So that is a sign. I don't care if your progesterone and estrogen are up and down mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. your perimenopausal journey. Mm-hmm. So there's very much value. We like to joke that people are down on what they're not up on. Yeah. So when you have these providers who are like, you don't need to test. Just yeah. talk to the lady. We're like, it's because they, A, don't understand the testing. B, 100%. don't want to get into the physiology of what's going on. Yep. And, you know, those who want to, you know, kind of crap on the Dutch, it's usually because they don't understand it. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so you guys use the Dutch. What do you think about saliva testing? What do you think about um, just regular urine testing? Do you have thoughts on those? Saliva testing is really good for the four-point cortisol diurnal pattern, mm-hmm. okay? that's mm-hmm. it, it can be used for that. Mm-hmm. But even that, you know, we're just seeing that's that's also just a small portion of, like, the adrenal picture. We're missing, um, we're missing like, total cortisol production for the day. So, right. yeah. yeah, yeah. We don't like saliva testing for, for like, determining that's hormone right. status. And yeah. saliva can't tell you hormone metabolism either. So, right. it's not fans. And then yeah. um, blood spot testing is another common one. And I think yeah. what a lot of people don't understand is that when they have these HRT providers or OBGYNs, many times their credentialing boards are being funded by the labs that actually produce these tests. So mm-hmm. when they're huge fans of something like ZRT blood spot testing... Yeah. It's usually because they're being sure. told at their last medical conference, yeah. support these guys are never told they're writing, you know, checks to under, um, uh, underwrite your education. So the problem with blood spot is it's capillary. It's capillary blood. It is very different than venous serum blood. The other problem is that most people, when they do it, they're kind of milking the finger a little bit. Mm. When we milk the finger or whatever it is to get this blood, we mix interstitial fluid and right. we dilute the ultimate specimen. And Marie and I were so kind of adamant at, to the lack of credibility of some of these tests mm. um, that we actually, I served as the guinea pig. And one month we did, I went into lab four in the morning mm-hmm. and did my blood draw. Um, in my car, I did the blood spot testing. Time, like I wasn't <laughs> even separated right by an hour. <laughs> yeah. I did the urine samples before I left. And then I did a saliva test when I got home mm-hmm. and wow. literally did the whole gamut. And then, you know, looked at the results. The I bet that was exciting when you got all the results back. Un- like- <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable to yeah. see the differences. Yeah. Um, and had my treatment been determined based off saliva or blood spot testing, yeah. I would have been wildly mismanaged mm-hmm. when it comes to So mm-hmm. that's our concern with that is that, yeah. you know, convenience, price, et cetera. I mean, for the vast majority of people, Ordering blood labs from LabCorp Quest is not that expensive. Right, and if your right. doctor is ordering it and sending you a bill for $1,000, you're being absolutely milked. So hundred percent. I know. Yeah. It's crazy when you, yeah. when it doesn't go through insurance and, and what they, it's like, you can order that on your own, several different mm-hmm. places for so yeah. much cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, my insurance, for example, is a deductible. So right. even when they run it through my insurance, yeah. if it's January through April, May, before we've used up our deductible, I'll get a bill for a thousand dollars for something that when I price it out myself at LabCorp was $96. Right. right. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I tell clients that all the time, you know, I'm able to order labs through um, where I did my training and do like a comprehensive, you know, lab that covers all the CBC and uh, thyroid and all of those things. And literally when people, I say, you can see what your insurance covers, you know, and they'll come back and they'll be like, this is like $1,500, you know? And I'm like, yeah, we can get it for you for $200, you know? Yeah. And and so I know it's, it's crazy to me. I think that's like a racket, but that's a whole other thing that we can talk about. So in terms of the, the serum testing, I know a lot of the telehealth places that are, you know, focusing on HRT, that's kind of what they use is serum testing. Um, what are I, your- I don't think they use anything, actually. Oh, uh, well, okay. A couple of the ones that I know do. Okay. That's so they're they're giving lab off. orders to their- yeah. Pre- yeah. Oh, Okay. Yeah. yeah. So like Defy Medical is one ah. that a okay. lot of women utilize. Right. Just you know. to say, there are some who don't, who just go yeah. on- Symptoms. symptoms and a questionnaire. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I certainly have heard that too. Um, okay. But okay. I'm just curious, yeah, in that situation, you know, how I know that there's a lot of debate on, I mean, 
a if especially if you are already on HRT, how fast it processes through your system? Is that going to show up on the blood labs? What are your thoughts on really utilizing? I guess maybe more when you're on HRT as compared to you know if you're just kind of testing your natural hormone production. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, there is some debate as to whether or not um, transdermal progesterone is going to show up in blood labs. So that tends to be one where there's a bit of an artifact where maybe, you know, this is where honestly it comes into having a very skilled and and experienced HRT provider Mm -hmm. because they're able based on decades of clinical experience to have essentially come up with a construct that says, you know, a blood serum volume of X of Mm -hmm. progesterone when a woman is on transdermal is that provider's target. Okay. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. and, you know, let's face it, even lab values themselves are artifacts of unhealthy populations and averages and, you know, two standard deviations and all this kind of stuff, which a lot of people don't realize. So, um, but, you know, estradiol definitely, I mean, it, it's, you know, we see a lot of these telemedicine places, um, directing women to apply a suboptimal form of estrogen. Usually it's biased, which is a combination mm-hmm. of estriol, which ladies, we only make estriol in robust amounts when we're pregnant. And mm-hmm. I last I checked at 53, I'm not pregnant. Um, so I don't <laughs> want estriol, but they're telling them to apply it only once a day. Mm-hmm. And these transdermal creams are frequently only a half-life just from the right. pharmacokinetic kinetics of 12 hours. Right. So you have a woman apply her cream, let's say at 7.30 at night. We just had a client who did this. And then she took her blood labs at 10 in the morning. And it's like yeah, bottomed out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah absolutely. So, you know, there's, there's problems with what they're prescribing in terms of the product itself. There's right. problems in the direction of how often they're telling women to take their HRT. Yeah. So therefore their testing is usually invalid at worst and, you know, unreliable at best because it's mm-hmm. very much dependent upon those other things. Absolutely. Well, I know, you know, with oral progesterone, most women take it at night because it helps them to sleep. So again, if they're taking their blood test in the morning, it's not going to show necessarily a a true value, right? Well, it does have a bit of a longer peak time. So you're going to get, if you take it first thing in the morning, your blood labs, and you took it right before bed, you are Mm -hmm. getting a pretty valid picture. Okay. Okay. But the problem is, is so many women are being dosed the same hormone every single day and estradiol and progesterone together, Mm -hmm. which in and of itself is problematic because newsflash, that's not how we made hormones to begin with. Mm-hmm. So if we're replacing them, you'd think we'd want to mimic what the body did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you've got estrogen, which is the gas pedal and progesterone, which is the brake, and you're giving them both at the same time, do you ever really get an accurate picture of what your estradiol is? Right, right, right. yeah. 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 So can you talk a little bit more about that when sort of the best times of utilizing the different hormones? Well, um, we will, we'll, we'll kind of keep it pretty simple. Cause it, it gets very, um, very <laughs> complex. Okay. Let, let's, let's kind of isolate out progesterone. Okay? okay. Um, a lot of doctors have already decided for women that they should take progesterone every day. And we, that, you know, that's static. It's the, it's, it's the same amount every day. We believe that the best should be cyclic okay that Mm. that mimics a menstrual cycle Mm -hmm. we only made progesterone from approximately days 14 through 28 okay so we tend to do best when we mimic nature now look for any woman that's listening you're happy you're taking progesterone every day like it's working for you you don't have you know bloat or morning fatigue or you know sleepingness or Mm -hmm. you know more power to you. I mean, progesterone every day is a thing. You yeah, know, there are sure. a lot of women doing it. Yeah. And like I said, if it's good for you, fine. There is some data showing that it's not as good for brain health. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Nor is it good for cancer protection. And that's right. the other thing is, you know, when women, you know, Maria was, you know, kind of, um, I would say, you know, mimicking the responses we hear from women, especially through these DMs on social media, like it works for me. Mm -hmm. We're like, that's great. But what does that mean? Right. Is it mean because it's alleviating your symptoms? Mm -hmm. Because again, if we go back to the beginning of this conversation and say that what's happening as our ovaries reach their senescent stage 
and we lose our hormones, we're also losing all of these other biological actions, genomic sequences that were occurring in the body, one of which is cancer protection. Right. And of course, that's like, you know, newsflash for women, because they're always thinking that hormones cause cancer, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and so why we're not all yeah. dropping dead of cancer during pregnancy. I right, like when we're 25. Exactly, <laughs> when our estrogen exactly. is super high, yeah. Yeah. But so what, you know, we like to kind of teach women is let's go back to what our hormones were doing before we ever reached this stage of perimenopause, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And look at this kind of beautiful dance that the two of them had slightly in opposition to each other, one kind of rising to its crescendo and then falling and the other one doing the same. That wasn't just to bring on a bleed. We're taught that it's about menses and we're taught that it's about you know, stimulating the follicles to release an egg and make right. you fertile. Right. Well, newsflash, as much as that's our, you know, biological imperative is to give birth to children. There's also other things that are happening because of those peaks. Right. And those have to do with bone remodeling and they have to do with your heart muscle and they have to do with brain sustainability and cognition. And they have to do with a P53 tumor suppressor. We need estradiol's peak to kind of prime that and progesterone's peak to set it off. So if women were able to understand really what their cycling hormones were doing, mm -hmm. I think they'd be in a better position to actually hear what the HRT being offered to them is or is not doing. And yeah. that's our biggest thing, right? Yeah, is that makes so much sense. I mean, I, yeah. I certainly have heard, you know, following the cycle approach to HRT, but then so many people, it's very static. It's very right. much like yeah. you just take most, all... most women use static. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and when you think about, like you're saying, all of the sort of big things that we're thinking long-term for women, bone health, brain health, heart health, right. And the protections that we get from the hormones staying within that cycle that right. we've had for 30 plus years is the smarter approach or more beneficial yeah. approach. Yeah. So yeah, does that mean that estradiol, you guys recommend a, sort of a, a creep up then that first half? Of we, we, I mean, we teach, we teach about that, right? Yeah. We yeah. teach about it. Okay. Uh, because there is a peak of estradiol in the cycle. It's around yeah. day 12. Yeah. Um, we make women understand like what this entails and, um, you know, just what's required of them. Yeah. Um, we don't force our views on anyone, but most women, when they realize that to this sounds like this makes sense mm -hmm. to them, they they want to they want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we see too often women feel like they got this initial kind of feeling of a jet fuel insertion, right? When they started their HRT, like, mm -hmm. oh my god, my fatigue resolved, my joints don't hurt as much, I'm sleeping better, I actually yeah. am willing to have sex. <laughs> then when they think about kind of where they could be, there's a disconnect, mm -hmm. right? There isn't mm -hmm. this vibrancy that's mm -hmm. happening for women on static HRT. Now, again, as Maria just said, we don't care what you choose. If you just want to slap a low dose patch on and take progesterone every single night, because, hey, you want that sleep, come high or high water, mm -hmm. go for it. Mm -hmm. Just know, we just want that choice to be an informed one, yeah. right? We just want it to be like, Okay, understand that you're addressing the imperatives that are kind of at the top of your list right now. Yeah. What we don't want women to think is that by 65-70, that they're going to be covered in terms of the bone remodeling mm. or these other things that are changing as we age. And I was listening to one of a uh, guest you had on in the last couple months, who I love the way they put it, was essentially, you know, are we losing our hormones because we're aging or are we aging because we're losing our yeah. hormones? Yeah. Right. And yeah. and we would take that second response as mm -hmm. what's really happening mm -hmm. is that we've got this accelerated aging because of the loss of our hormones. Mm -hmm. What if we could kind of pump the brakes on that aging piece? And the sad thing is, is women aren't being told. So they're given these off the shelf options or kind of suboptimal options that just address the like screaming symptoms right now. And then we meet them at like 60, 63, 63. 65. And it's yeah. not. Mm -hmm heart-wrenching, Christine. Yeah. It is yeah. gut-punch heart-wrenching when these women are like, I didn't know, yeah. you know? <laughs> so sad, yeah. It's so sad. And now, you know, we can maybe halt some osteoporosis right. and always reverse it, right? you know? Right. Hormones are best when we sustain brain health, but if we've now got a bunch of tau proteins built up in the brain, 
you know, cognition right. may kind of be where it's at for a while. Right. No woman deserves to have that be her wake up call on her 65th birthday. So our attitude is talk about it now. Talk yeah. about it in the 40s. Right. And if there's a woman listening who is 65 and is like, I feel cheated and screwed. We're like, A, you should be mad. Yeah. Absolutely. And we're here for that. But B, all is not lost. You still oh, have yeah. an opportunity to preserve what you have right now. It's just going to take a little bit more attention and oversight and going to your gynecologist who you may love because they delivered all your babies or something. Right. They're not going to do it. I I, uh, saw this woman recently who she started, I think it was just progesterone, but she was literally 76 and she was like, they will pry it for my cold dead hands, you know? And of course, (laughs) majority of doctors would be like, you're going to kill yourself starting on hormones at that age, you know? Um, And so I think it's so important. And I'm glad that you brought that up. Like, even if you're in your sixties, even if you're, you know, 10 years post menopause, like it's okay. Like you still can do this. Yeah. Well, Um, you probably can, but like, if, if you are really poor metabolic health like that, mm, you have to proceed with caution, but, but anyway, let's talk about that 76 year old that started progesterone for a little bit. Progesterone only HRT where a lot of women start. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it may, it works in perimenopause. Mm-hmm. It may even, well, I'm never going to argue against someone's lived experience. That's right. great. I'd love to speak to that 76 year old in three years or right. maybe even a year. Is that progesterone still working for her? Right. Um, the reason Christine is progesterone works best when it has a receptor, which mm-hmm. actually really only works when it has a progesterone <laughs> receptor. Yeah. What makes that progesterone receptor is reaching a concentration of estradiol Mm -hmm. in the blood, Mm -hmm. okay? Estradiol creates a progesterone receptor. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if you put progesterone into a body with low to no estradiol, it's probably not going to work or it's going to work initially, but then it's going to completely stop. Yep. 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 Totally agree. I just want the people out there to know that not against, you know, progesterone only HRT tends to work for kind of early stage perimenopause women. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. And I think that that leads into my next question really well. I know there's a big debate on when you should bring estradiol in. You know, some people say you have to wait till menopause to bring estradiol in or biased, as you guys mentioned earlier, is often used. Um, Other people say, hey, maybe we should be bringing in estradiol even earlier because of this sort of like, up, down, up, down that's happening, particularly sort of that mid to late perimenopause time. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think some of the reluctance in considering estradiol when a woman is perimenopausal, because technically, she's still got some endogenous production happening, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's this theory, which is based on negative feedback loops that Mm -hmm. we're going to put something into the system out from the outside, and we're going to essentially short circuit and kind of disrupt Mm -hmm. that signaling or endogenous production. And it isn't, hasn't exactly been shown to be true. It is with certain things, but even we used to be told that with melatonin, right? right? Oh, don't take it. You'll yeah. never produce it. Stop producing it. Yeah. Not true. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain amount where obviously too much is never a good thing of anything. Right. But you, there is, so there's this theory of, can we augment this declining endogenous production. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, people get hung up on the words. They don't like augment. And so their answer is no, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is if you were to look at a graph, right, you have this constant decline of progesterone. You have a decline of estrogen with all these like erratic blips. Mm-hmm. If we were to give women in perimenopause estradiol, A, it preserves those receptors that Maria just talked about. So that progesterone experience will continue to be beneficial. Mm -hmm. But B, it takes those kind of big amplitude ups and downs of estradiol production on its decline and makes them less sharp. Mm -hmm. And that is the biggest benefit to women because, you know, it's it does impact our moods. It does create sometimes very heavy periods for women. Right. it creates uh, the hot flashes. And what we know now is the hot flashes are damaging to our vasculature, mm. right? They're more than just waking us up and maybe making us feel like, God, did I just pee the bed? What just happened? You know, sort of a thing. It's it's really about maintaining homeostasis, right? So we, we hate the word balance when it comes to balancing hormones, but homeostasis in terms of everything working correctly as the, the body. Right time. 
Yeah. We can do that by augmenting or adding or layering in whatever. And that just means usually that a woman in perimenopause is going to be slow walked into HRT mm-hmm. might be some low dose to sort of, you know, add on to what she's got. Um, and then a good provider, again, HRT is not a set it and forget it thing. Yeah. You're still going to have this shift occurring with your ovaries, that dosing, that approach is going to need to be adjusted. So I think that's the other problem is these telemedicine places, they don't have a patient relationship with you, really, right? They're not asking you like, hey, Christine, how's your sex life been? How's sleep been? Mm -hmm. You know, have you gained any weight? How's your hair? Blah, 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 blah. What's going on? And so they're not really checking back in with you. I mean, you're the onus is now on you to go, refill my prescription. Mm -hmm. Okay, but is anyone saying like, well, it's been two years now, Christine, you probably need a little bit more estradiol. Maybe let's get a DEXA scan and check things out, right? Mm-hmm. No, these people aren't doing this. And this is where Maria and I are like, A, the informed consent, be knowledgeable before you choose something, but B, understand what this practitioner is capable of delivering to you. And if it is just a prescription, run, yeah. run far and fast. Yeah. That is not what women need. We need you know, kind of a managed care situation. It's yeah. it's a very changing dynamic environment. You better have a practitioner who's just as dynamic in their ability to pivot and work with you. Absolutely. Do you guys have a list of practitioners that you work with or like that you we do? Yeah. We do. Yeah. So so yeah. the even even before we get to that though, for women, it's like we tell women this all the time and you know it's not us being cheeky as if to say like we're the only ones who have this information like women can go out and get the same education we had read books you know go to physician level courses uh programs courses seminars um have a mentor but here's the thing is like we talk a good deal about hrt on our social media Mm -hmm. um we try to like bring in other topics as well but you know hrt is kind of at the forefront Mm-hmm. And, but one of the things we say is we really want you to know, to understand what are your options from A to Z, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. when they don't know what those options are, I am going to throw a dart and I'm going to guarantee you that that dart is going to land on pellet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talk about set it and forget it. Oh my God. And like okay. places popping up all over, right? Oh, like like estheticians and yeah. dermatologists. Yeah. I'm yeah, like, yeah, what yeah, is yeah. happening? Yeah. 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 That, so, and I would say too, Maria, when it, I thought this is where you were going with that comment was that we think HRT is magical, yeah. but it's not a magic pill. Yeah. And at the end of the day, a woman needs to take some accountability for her health and aging. And that's going to be proper nutrition. Not going to yes. be a vegan template. I hate to tell you, ladies. Um, it's going to have to be some weight training. Pilates ain't going to cut it. Pilates is wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, running is wonderful if your knees aren't like mine and you can keep running. Great. But... And your cortisol is not bottomed out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you're not doing it on a cup of coffee, six hours of sleep after having put the kids <laughs> on the bus. And now you have no food in your system, but you're going to go run six miles. Yeah. So there's, you know, nutrition, movement, stress mitigation. I mean, Maria, we started talking about that with the Dutch. Stress affects everything you know the body's kind of imperative is to keep you alive and if it thinks it's under threat guess what all these other necessary things get put on a shelf in the background Mm -hmm. so your metabolism is going to slow your you know Mm thyroid is going to slow all these things Mm -hmm. so women have to be an active participant in this entire hormonal game yeah thinking that they can kind of take the habits of their 30s and early 40s throw some HRT on their skin and call it a day. Yeah. It's incredibly naive. And it's honestly kind of like willfully negligent, right? None of us should be aging as though it's not our job. It's just happening to us. And we'll just take mm-hmm. something for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not a good Well, thing. It's hard, right? Because we live in a culture and it's always been sort of put upon us. Take this pill when you're, you know, having this issue, which yeah. even in those instances, never really works either, you know, but people are so used to it. So to get them out of that mindset, um, I could ask you a million more things about HRT, but I want to pivot into sort of what you're talking about, because, you know, I think the protein thing has, is being talked about a lot these days. A lot of women are like, I can't eat the amount of protein or they just have, don't, can't even visualize, you know, if you're saying a hundred, 125 grams a day, that kind of thing. So let's talk about sort of the importance of that and then 
I would love for you guys to throw out like what some of your meals are in a day. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, women, we have something called anabolic resistance as we age, which means that our ability to benefit from protein becomes less efficient. And so we're going to need more than we had been doing, you know, using before. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that what is a protein has become completely conflated in the world. And we have kind of overcorrections on both ends. We have women like we just met with someone today where she's hitting her protein macros every day, mm-hmm. but she's doing it with ground chicken and ground turkey exclusively. Mm-hmm. You tell me how she feels. Right. Freaking miserable, right? She has no fat in her diet. She's mm-hmm. under eating. She can't lose weight. And she's like, but I'm hitting my protein. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've kind of missed the message if that's the only thing. Then we have those who are like going to open a big can of beans, dump it on some rice and be like, look at me. I got all this protein. We're like, ah, uh, okay. There's issues with bioavailability. How much of that is giving you a full amino acid profile? And by the way, there's a lot of carbs in that meal. Yeah. So, you know, we've got to kind of get women to understand that it's not about being masculine or eating only red meat and being carnivore or just hitting a protein number. It's about understanding what is a protein, what isn't a protein in terms of what it's doing for you in the body. Mm -hmm. You hinted about collagen. Mm -hmm. Collagen is a wonderful supplement. We both use it for different things. It is not a food protein. Okay. Mm -hmm. It has amino acids that make up proteins, but it is not a complete protein. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about why it's so important, It's about getting into this chain called muscle protein synthesis, right? Women need to understand the role of muscle as we age. We think of it as biomechanical in terms of locomotion. You know, do I, can I get out of the, off the toilet without holding onto the counter or, you know, chase after my dog or whatever, but it's also doing so much else for us, right? It's our sink for glucose metabolism. It releases anti-inflammatory proteins that control inflammation in the body. Mm -hmm. Um, It's super important for our immune system regulation. So there's all these kind of biochemical things that we need protein or muscle for. Well, how do we get muscle or how do we hold on to it? We have to eat complete amino acids and we have to stress our muscles. So that means we have to eat animal protein and we have to work out and lift heavy things and not do, you know, some Jane Fonda workout. So, um, you know, getting it it, we get it. It sounds intimidating. And I think part of that is all this Instagram messaging is like, look at me, I'm having a ribeye for breakfast. Right. Okay. Some of us have done that already. Yeah. Been there, done that. <laughs> it can work as an elimination diet. Right. It can be incredibly healing for gut health and all these other things. Long-term sustainability, Marie and I are going to go, eh, not so much. I agree I'll with you 100%. For breakfast, but not every day. Exactly. Every day. Exactly. Yeah. You're like, yeah. every once in a while, okay, I have some yeah. leftover. That's great. Yeah. 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 But the other thing is women think breakfast have to look like breakfast. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that's these smoothie bowls. Like, thank God Instagram's done with showing us everyone's like, (laughs) right? I think we've kind of really moved past that. Their smoothie bowls are branded to their colors and all whatever. But, um, you know, and and smoothies can be great provided we're conscious and intentional about what we put in them. Right? Right. right. Mm -hmm. So Marie and I like to say there's little, there's hacks and there's tricks. Like, throw some shrimp on your plate. Do you understand what protein bombs, shrimp are, mm. or scallops, things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, two eggs and a couple slices of bacon is not even going to get you to this threshold to kick off muscle protein synthesis. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. trying to get women to understand sort of how can you hack your protein goals in a template that fits with food that you love, mm-hmm. that you're not going to tire of, and you know, isn't forced into kind of this particular color scheme or, you know, plate uh, curated for Instagram. So Mm -hmm. Emily think today, Maria, I had, I had three chicken sausage, some Greek yogurt, a scoop of whey protein and a meat stick. That was my (laughs) breakfast. That was post uh, workout. And Maria and I had a client early this morning. Maria, what was yours? For breakfast, I had a protein smoothie with whey in it. Mm-hmm. Um, whey is an excellent source of amino acids. And I will just say that, and, and I had peanut butter in it because whey doesn't have a lot of fat and mm-hmm. we need fat with our protein. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, that's super important. But when you and say smoothie, Maria, I think of, and you think of like to, something to for fruit, this sort of thing. Yeah. No, what was no, it? I had some berries in it. Um, cause berries are like super high phytonutrient, but low carb and you know, they're just delicious. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah. I think a little bit of maybe extra fiber and it was super filling, yeah. you know, lasted 
me four or five hours between you know breakfast and lunch and then for lunch I had um, a, a salad with a lot of arugula and some carrot shreds and I had one huge organic strawberry that I uh, chopped up and some pecans and some goat cheese I haven't had this in a long time uh, so many so many of us are just stuck on like chicken 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 because mm -hmm. it's like high protein it's low fat you know um but so I had the pecans and the goat cheese in there so it was, it was lovely uh, mm. you know six I think it was 6.3 ounces so well yeah. over 40 grams yeah well, those women would protein. they put yeah. like a piece this big of salmon or chicken on it right, right. and right. if you wait it it's like three ounces right right yeah, yeah. So it it's like, like usually 20 grams if they're lucky yeah it's not enough yeah. 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 Well, and, and I think what you noted about you felt full for four or five hours after you had the smoothie, you know, is a really important point because if you're drinking a smoothie and you're hungry an hour and a half later, then there's not there's enough protein <laughs> and fat. So it's in not there, a, right? Probably it's probably fat that's missing. Yeah. But also let's, let's go back to like salad and vegetables. One of the things we hear a lot of is, um, you know, that I, I can't fit that amount of protein and I actually um I, I kind of almost made it a point I was like I'm gonna have some salads this week because I've really scaled back on my vegetables and I do like vegetables and I like fiber but Kristen and I we don't chase fiber okay, okay? yeah I'm I was curious about that we probably get on most days 25 maybe some maybe it's maybe it's a lot more today because I had like four cups of arugula we probably get 25 to 35 grams of fiber which is generally you know it's a good that's a good amount um, more than the average American so if I don't like hit my fiber <laughs> right uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I don't hit my fiber grams in a day I'm like I'm not like concerned and here's the thing and because I can always like for the microbiome benefits I can have a freaking like tablespoon of sauerkraut I'm good mm -hmm. right? I don't necessarily right. need volume Right? right. And so right. here's the thing, like women who are like, oh, I can't eat that much protein. You literally may just have to sh like shrink down your volume mm. of vegetables. You can still have some. We're not like, again, we're not saying you have to be all this or all that. We're just saying like, let's understand the priority here. Mm -hmm. Get the protein in. And if you can fit some vegetables in, fine. But if you're having, like I had today, I mean, it's funny thing is I could still eat because I don't know, it wasn't super filling. Chicken, Maria. <laughs> I, I know, I know. <laughs> I just like to break it up every once in a while. It can't always be salmon and beef. Yeah. But but funny thing is, um, you do you do sometimes like you know we we get this like message like plant based, plant based, plant based, plant based. So we're like where you just got this massive salad and we feel virtuous and we don't get enough protein in. So and we wonder why we're hungry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even Mark Sisson, God bless him. You know, he pioneered the big ass salad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you have yeah. maybe a little protein with it. He doesn't do that and anymore. No, he, he flat came out He's and like, said, like, I was wrong. Yep. Yeah. He was like, <laughs> it should yeah. be a side salad and newsflash ladies eat it at the end of your meal mm. because Women don't understand. Many women have little impaired gut health. We can yep. get into how estradiol affects the microbiome and peristalsis in the bowels and all these things. But so things get slowed. When you start with a salad, you're right. You don't feel like eating a lot of protein because you don't have a lot of room for yeah. it. Yeah. You're distended and you're bloated and your body is yeah. like, oh my God, I got to take all this insoluble fiber and try and break it down. Right. Oh, stick protein in there right yeah, yeah. So we're like eat your protein and then if you're still hungry enjoy whatever vegetables and fiber and things that you want you know there's other ways to do it whether it's a little resistant starch in your whey powder with your morning mm -hmm. workout shake or whatever but yeah we're you know kind of like you have to be intentional and we get it there's been a lot of blowback against weighing and tracking and we've seen it we've seen the disordered eating that's come yeah. out of that this obsessive kind of orthorexia stuff yeah that's you know we have to kind of get correct back to the middle we can't yeah. be anti-diet and right. we can't be rigid right because yeah, that's no I way agree. to live 100 yeah yep. mm -hmm. so let's fall back in the middle and be like okay track every few days like or two days a week just yeah Kind of like as a check-in with yourself am i hitting these things do i know what protein looks like i mean yeah. Cottage cheese, phenomenal protein bomb, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. little mm -hmm. things that you can do to kind of amp up your protein. But again, you have to have skin in the game, which means you're gonna have to pay attention, which means yeah. you're going to have to probably track and count a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes we describe it as like going back to kindergarten, just learn your letters, right? Mm -hmm. Learn your macros, 
you know, understand what does it look like and journal. How did I feel? Was yeah, I like one? That's the most important thing. Yeah. Three in the afternoon. Yep. There's my sign that breakfast and lunch didn't cut it. Right. Yep. So it's just, it's just teaching and learning. And I think part of it is there's a lot of inertia at this stage in life, you know, taking care of everyone else, like, oh, having to add one more thing to our right. list news. Yep. It sucks. Exactly. But we try and say, think of it more like I get to. I get to work out. I get to choose what I eat to nourish my body. I get to determine my afternoon energy. Mm-hmm. Whole different mindset. Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, women tend to buy in a little bit better when they realize how blessed they are that these are options that they have to choose from. Absolutely. I mean, even for myself, you know, I, so I almost died after a fibroid surgery that went wrong. Right. And I ended up having an ostomy bag for six months, lost, lost half my colon, et cetera. But, you know, sometimes when I get that mood of like, I don't, why do I have to go work out? Why do I have to go do these things? You know, I just think, oh my God, during that time, I couldn't do any of these things. You know, I couldn't eat the foods that I wanted to. I, couldn't go move my body. Like how amazing is it that I have the option and the choice to be able to go do this? And it completely flips the mindset, right? So I I love that that so much of these things, even when we're talking about disordered eating past, because I work with women and the majority of women have some level of a disordered eating past, right? A lot of it has to be that mindset shift, you know, of like, okay, I'm, I, you know, it's, it's not about the weight loss. Like it's about how I feel, you know? So I'm so glad that you guys brought up that point because I think that that's really something that women need to hear again and again. Again and again and again. And the other thing that we would say is something has to change to change, to create, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of women come into this thinking like, but I don't, you know, why do I have to do this? Or I know I should, but it's almost like they don't want to because they know that they should. Yes, absolutely. It's that like, it's this like inner thing, right. That works against us. It's like, I don't want to like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't tell me what I have to do. I know you're the one telling yourself. (laughs) It's crazy ambivalence, but you know, then it's kind of like, okay, well you can wait until you're rock bottom, Mm -hmm. whatever that may be. Right. Mm -hmm. Or you can say, screw it. This is my life to choose and do what I want. And, That mindset piece is a huge element, we think, in midlife in particular, because when progesterone is declining, we're losing a lot of our neurotransmitters getting into the brain. Mm. And without these wonderful metabolites that come from our, you know, metabolism of hormones, we don't get GABA and dopamine and serotonin and all these things appropriately in there. So there does come kind of almost this inflection point where it's like, Some women are going to need a little hormone support in order to find the gumption to make the change, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 100%. Well, I could go on forever with you guys. Like there's probably 20 questions in my brain (laughs) from everything that we've talked about, but we'll have to wrap this up. Um, Thank you so much for all of this incredible information. Let people know how they can get in touch with you. So they can follow us on Instagram. We, you know, just kind of type in wise and well in the search bar and our picture, both of us will come up and just kind of follow us. We try to be education forward. Um, not not yeah. a ton of selfies. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty anti-social media, I'll be honest. And it's, oh, uh, I'm Maria. the same. Yeah, she's the brave one of the pair of us putting, uh, putting herself up. I don't most of the times I, I, most of the times I enjoy it. Um, yeah. And then our website, same name, wiseandwell.me. But if, if they actually go, um, I guess they can also Google Wise and Well Mighty Networks if they're not on Instagram, okay. right? You mm-hmm. can Google Wise and Well Mighty Networks and we have like a free Mighty Networks channel. It's where we right. have this compendium of really deep dive articles, things that read like this. If menopause is natural, why should I even consider hormone replacement therapy? We also have a seven part, Kristen, article on cholesterol, such an area, a topic of confusion for women. Like we go really deep. Um, And then we have like, we have some product evaluations, like why we like colostrum so much. Mm -hmm. We have a deep dive article on that. Um, It allows us to, you know, Instagram is soundbite health. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It allows us to go deeper. So we would encourage uh, women, you know, they can find that through the link in our Instagram bio. Okay. We'll put Um, the uh, link in the show notes too, so people can get directly there. That's awesome. So you primarily work one-on-one with people or do you do group programs too? 
Yeah, we do a hybrid model, actually, okay. because we do think that women in this time of life tend to insulate a little bit yep. and um, insulate and isolate, right? Mm-hmm. And they need community. They need to understand that they're not the only one going through it. And sometimes they're the best ones to help group source ideas to get over mm-hmm. obstacles, even Absolutely. if that just means a breakfast option that's not eggs, right? Like just <laughs> coming up with that stuff. So we used to work strictly one-on-one, then we did a group program mm-hmm. and we realized that there are benefits to both. And as much as women will come to us and say, I don't, I don't need the community stuff. I don't want to be part of it. By the time they're done with us, they're actually some of the most active in it. Yeah. Um, and so what we do is women come in and we give them a really robust education program for about eight weeks. It's not in a vacuum. They're still meeting with us every two weeks as a group on Zoom calls. They're very much like this. It's an open, wide open, ask us anything sort of format. Um, We refer to it as immersion learning because, um, you know, when we don't do an open and closed thing with our work, so women can join at any given time, but that might be they're with someone who's four years into their journey and has been on HRT for a year, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a very different learning curve for each one, but it tends to create incredible synergy because- Women start to understand what to expect, or they start to see that someone came out the other side mm-hmm. and, you know, that. Mm-hmm. So they get this education, they get a ton of community support, they get testing, which we do not send until they're a month in because we want women to have skin in the game. We yes. just had someone today who said, can I just have a custom program and you just do all this testing? We're like, but what's the testing going to tell you? I right. mean, we just talked about that, right? Right. Shot in time. Great. Yeah. Um, so we wait till you're kind of like in the... Well, Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then take your test and then you get us for like anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes, one-on-one deep dive, comprehensive, and, you know, not to pump our own tires, but we've had women say, I have never received this much information and attention yeah. and protocol guidance from anyone ever. And so we give that, and then you're with us for still another four months where we're here to support you Usually you get a referral to an HRT provider if that's what you choose. Mm -hmm. Um, We match people according to what is it that you're looking for, Christine? If you're only 42 and you just want to even out these periods right now and not be a psychopath on the 15th of the month, we got someone. (laughs) Um, So we do that. And then women frequently just stay with us. They can kind of up six months at a time to just continue in the community and be on phone calls and, you know, we use same app that you do. And so everyone's got us 24 seven on chat and, you know, a lot of kind of we're in your back pocket for this journey. So. Great. I love that approach. It's very comprehensive. (laughs) Very cool. Well, thank you again for being here with me today and um, everybody check out the show notes to get direct access to these wonderful women. Um, Kristen and Maria was so great. So um, everyone, I will see you guys, um, I guess, next season, technically, though we'll be doing some fun stuff throughout the summer. So see you soon. Bye.